This is Matt Raymond at the Library of Congress. Each year, thousands of book lovers of all ages visit the nation's capital to celebrate the joys of reading and lifelong literacy at the National Book Festival, sponsored by the Library of Congress and hosted by First Lady Laura Bush. Now in its eighth year, this free event held on the National Mall Saturday, September 27th, will spark readers' passion for learning as they interact with the nation's best-selling authors, illustrators, and poets. Even if you can't attend in person, you can still participate online. These podcasts with well-known authors and other materials are available through the National Book Festival website at www.loc.gov bookfest. It's now my honor to talk with the best-selling author, Marisa De Los Santos. Ms. De Los Santos first emerged on the writing scene with her award-winning poetry collection, From the Bones Out. In 2005, she released her first novel, Love Walked In, which quickly became a New York Times bestseller and was further recognized as one of Library Journal's best books of 2006. Ms. De Los Santos' fans can soon look forward to the movie version starring Sarah Jessica Parker. Her latest book, Belong to Me, is a sequel to Love Walked In and was just released earlier this year. Uh, welcome, Ms. De Los Santos. It's a pleasure. Hi, thank you. We appreciate you taking the time. Uh, tell us a little bit, if you would, about your latest book, Belong to Me. Well, Belong to Me um, is, in my mind, and I think this is also the response I get from most readers, a, a completely um, freestanding book. Having said that, I'll also tell you that it, it continues with some characters from Love Walked In, the first novel, um, and it picks up their lives about two and a half years after that novel ends. Cornelia Brown, who is one of two main characters in Love Walked In, is one of three main characters in Belong to Me, and um, her life has changed a lot since we last saw her, but she is uh, married and has recently, actually at the very beginning of the book, moved from the city to the suburbs, um, to sort of a distant suburb of Philadelphia, for reasons that kind of come to light later in the story. And um, she, her, life, her life becomes pretty quickly entwined with a bunch of other lives, including her neighbor, Piper Truitt, um, and another woman who is also new to town, whose name is Lake Tremaine. And Lake has a 13-year-old son. They've recently relocated from California. Um, And eventually, over time, their lives become really entangled. And um, I don't want to say too much, but sort of secrets kind of come to light, and they get to know each other in ways that they never expected and sort of end up in each other's lives in ways that they couldn't have have anticipated. Now, at the book festival on September 27th, can your fans expect to hear about the book, or what, what can we expect to hear from you? Well, yeah, I think I'll talk about probably a little bit about both books and, and how they came into being and um, something about my process, which really everything for me begins with the characters themselves, even before I have a story. So um, I think I will will talk about um, what always interests me when I go to festivals, when I hear other writers, which is the, the process of the books coming into being. And um, why do you think it's important to participate in the National Book Festival? Well, any celebration of uh, literacy and reading and books is something that excites me, and um, 
on a large scale, something that can touch a lot of people, I think is important, and it's 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 what is my reason for being involved. If books, especially as a child, but of course all through my life, books have meant really, truly more than I can describe. Um, and they've formed who I am, and they've helped me form opinions, and they've just sort of illuminated my life in so many ways. And celebrating that, I think, is important. Um, so that's why I wanted to be part of this. Now, you uh, just a, a little bit ago characterized Belong to Me as a freestanding book. Um, how do you create a book like that that's unique in its own right but still is true to the original novel as well? Well, you know, um, I had not went, planned to write two books with some of the same characters when I began Love Walked In. Before Love Walked In was entirely off my desk, though, some of these characters, along with a lot of new ones, and I was very happy to see those new ones, um, were kind of knocking at my door. And uh, long before Love Walked In came out, and we had any sense that anyone would read it and like it, um, I was well into this book. And, and I think what, what you don't want to do in a follow-up book particularly if you don't want people to have to have read the first, is just to make sure you're not retelling that story. And so that was something that I was excited about with this book, is that it was such a fresh new moment, even in the characters' lives, um, who I'd written about before. So it, it, it really, they were at such a different place. Cornelia is single in Love Walked In. She's married. She's hoping for a family. Um, Claire, who is 11, just turns 11 and, and Love Walked In is 13 in the beginning of Belong to Me and 15 by the book's end, which is just a, a really different time for a girl. She doesn't have one foot in you know the childhood camp and one foot in the adolescent camp anymore. She's truly a teenager. And so I, if it hadn't been um, fresh for me, I, 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 I couldn't have made it fresh for anybody else, but it felt really new. And then, of course, there is a whole uh, host of other characters who were entirely new to me and very kind of organically grew out of um, the story. And I loved them, and I loved working with them. And um, so just, you know, being in the company of new characters made it really vivid and exciting for me. Now, Love Walked In is told in chapters uh, that alternate between those two characters. You mentioned Cornelia, Cornelia in the first person and Claire uh, in the third person. That's How difficult right. is it for you to transition between the two? It's actually pretty hard. <laughs> in the second book, um, Cornelia, again, has her first person chapters. And then Piper, the neighbor I mentioned, um, who is in some ways the anti-Cornelia, and she's very, very different from Cornelia, she has her own chapters, which are third person. And then there's a 13-year-old boy who um, is really, really smart and engaged in all kinds of, of subjects that I know or knew very little about, like string theory and, uh, and physics and quantum physics. And um, he's got his own third person chapter. So again, we have that structure. And really, it's it's hard because I have to almost get into character each time I start a new chapter. 
And there are always a few days, even if I'm very eager to plunge in and, and think I know what's going to happen in the next chapter, it always takes a few days between chapters to almost cleanse my palate, to kind of get the old voice out of my head and, and shift gears and, and have this new voice take over. So it isn't easy, but it's also a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's, it's great to get to be inside the heads of these different people whom I find equally interesting but in really different ways. Now, you said Love Walked In is about finding love, where Belong to Me is about what to do once we've found it. Are, are there any lessons that, that you hope or that you think that readers might take away from these books? Yeah, I'm not sure I would use the word lesson necessarily, but, you know, there are some things I learned from writing the book Belong to Me, I'm thinking of in particular. There's a moment near the end of the book where Cornelia says love can be a decision. And until she said that, I didn't realize that I find it to be true. That there's love that happens to you, that you sort of can't help, and that feels really just natural and organic. And then there's a way in which you can also look around at the people that life has thrown into your sphere and say, my job here on this planet is to love the people I've been given to love. These are the people, and I'm going to do it. Um, And it's something that I, it was a discovery for me, and I would hope that it would be at least an interesting idea, if not the same kind of revelation for some readers. Your books carry strong themes of motherhood and family relationships and, and obviously love. How have your own experiences um, influenced your writing? You know, um, I'm sure they have in every way possible. It's, it's very hard for me to, because being a mother, being a, a wife and a daughter and a sister and a friend, it's so much a part of who I am that I imagine that it affects every, even the tiniest decision that I make. Um, I think that there aren't really relationships. I would say Cornelia's marriage and the structure of her marriage, not the particulars, but the sort of interaction and the way she and her husband balance each other is not so different from my marriage. That might be the most autobiographical, roughly autobiographical thing in the book, in either book. Um, But, you know, I think it's really what happens to me is if there are seeds of personal experience in the novel at the beginning, by the time I'm well into it, I never feel like I'm writing anyone's story but the characters in the book. So even if the experience is something close to what I've experienced or someone I know has experienced, the reactions of my characters aren't necessarily going to be even similar to mine. Um, I have to stay true to them and who they are and, and how they would respond and what emotions they would have. So... It becomes its really its own thing that doesn't reflect my life. But certainly my role, all the roles, all the hats that I wear have to affect the way I, I look at the world and therefore the way I write. Do you ever base any of your characters on real people? Mostly what I steal from people <laughs> in my life are small things, gestures, um, habits, things that... that um, for example, 
Piper, the character named Piper in my book, when she is nervous, she does a couple different things. One is she kind of, she's a bob, and she sort of runs her hands through her hair and flips the ends under. And the other thing she does is straighten her watch so that the face of her watch is right in the middle of her wrist. And I know someone who has those habits. She's nothing like Piper, um, who is in many ways awful, <laughs> um, at least at the beginning of the book. And so, but those little things um, are what I usually take from real life. So there's no character in any either book that matches up um, characteristic by characteristic with someone in the real world. But I do tend to draw from life in, in these small ways. I mentioned at the outset that Love Walked In is uh, soon to be a major motion picture. How involved have you been from its adaptation to the screen? Well, you know, I really don't know when that's going to happen. Um, I, I am not involved, and I, that's really very much okay with me. In fact, what happened in, in Los Angeles, while I'm grateful for it and, and glad about it, um, and as a fan of movies, I mean, Cornelia is a big fan of classic movies, as am I. It's exciting on, uh, you know, in, in that way. Um, but I do what I do, which is write novels. And that's really what I want to spend my time on. And, no, and in fact, no one's asked me to write a screenplay or to be more involved. Um, I know some writers really want to be, but I kind of feel like, you know, I realized what I wanted to do. Um, I set out to write these books, and I wrote them, and now I have a third book in the works that, you know, is absorbing me completely. And what happens when you send them out in the world is just what happens. You know, it, it doesn't, in some ways, the books don't belong to you anymore um, once they're out in the world. And I've come to a kind of peace with that. So whatever happens, happens. Let's talk about uh, you as a writer a little bit more. Um, mentioned, of course, that uh, you started out in poetry. Was it a national, a natural progression to go from poetry to writing fiction? Um, you know, I think, in a way, it felt very natural to me. Um, why it happened when it did, and not earlier, or not you know later? Why at that particular moment? I think I will never really be able to explain. I've always been a tremendous reader of novels, and probably as a reader, novels are my first love, although certainly I love to read poetry. Um, as, you know, I've, I've always been word-obsessed and have loved words and as a child made lists of words just for the way they sound um, and the kind of texture of them. Um, the way the vowels and consonants kind of knocked together in certain words and made music. So that's, I think, why I initially became a poet, because I loved foregrounding in poetry. The music is really, um, not that it isn't in other kinds of writing, but it's really, really, um, th th there's a lot of pressure put on the sounds of and the rhythms of language, and I loved that. Um, and then I had a character in my head, and then I had a story to tell. Um, and so, you know, I, I really, I sat down, and because these characters, Cornelia and Claire, lived in my head for a long time before I tried to write anything down. And then one summer I just said, you know, I think I'd like to kind of explore this. And that's what I called it. I'm just exploring this. I'm just sort of seeing what this story is and where it takes me. And it wasn't until I was pretty well into it that I could say to anyone, this is a novel. 
you know, I'm writing a novel. But at that point, I was so excited to be there and felt so at home in the genre um, that it was okay. It didn't scare me the way I think it might have scared me if I'd said that earlier on. You know, I'm writing a novel. I mean, the prospect of writing 300-plus pages of anything would have terrified me, I think. So um, it was really a natural kind of progression, and it happened because I had a story to tell, and I didn't have a story to tell before. You said before that some of your own heroes include Louisa May Alcott, Helen Keller, Joan of Arc, and, and Clara Barton, among others. What is it about these women that inspires you? You know, I, I read obsessively biographies of women when I was a kid. And it's interesting because I don't read a lot of biographies now or memoirs now, but as a child, I really did. And, you know, what I loved when I would read these biographies, and they were written for children, and so some of them may have been, you know, they might have incorporated details in the narrative that people couldn't necessarily verify, but I loved that they seemed, they did these extraordinary things, but you find these details out about their lives and their siblings or their, you know, they felt very, very human to me, Um, and it was and is still a source of amazement to me that really real flesh and blood human people can do these incredibly creative, courageous things. Um, it, it, It was just something that inspired me, you know, when I was a child. I think I I was Clara Barton for Halloween. I was, you know, Joan of Arc for Halloween. Um, You weren't on fire, were you? No, not no, no, no. It was the (laughs) pre-fire moment in her life. Um, But no one knew who I was. You know, I'm walking around in white cardboard armor and... It, it, it was it was probably a fairly disastrous Halloween costume, but um, but you know people would see me. I, I was um, Elizabeth Blackwell, and someone would say, "Who are you, honey?" And I'd say, "You know, I'm Elizabeth Blackwell." She was a female, you know, doctor before, that. and I would give them this whole all this information, probably way more than they wanted. But you know, I was just fascinated, you know, and I was just, I loved the human small details um, about Helen Keller's life, for example, and her relationships and her relationship with her teacher. Um, And then she was also just amazing and brilliant. So the the contrast, I think, is what I was really interested in. Mentioned uh, Louisa May Alcott, of course. Uh, who are some of your other favorite authors, either uh, historically or or more uh, modern? Um, well, in as a kid, I loved this author named, and still love this author named Elizabeth Enright, who wrote this whole series of books about this one family, a big family with lots of children, um, the Melendi family, and I loved those and read them obsessively and literally read them to pieces and had to buy new copies. Um, and a, a lot of the, the children's classics, The Secret Garden, The Little, Prin- a Little Princess, um, the Narnia books, uh, a lot of those kind of classics of children's literature. Um, now some of my the, the writers that I worship um, are Barbara Kingsolver, who seems to me to just do everything right, you know, have this gorgeous musical writing, but it never seems show-offy. It always seems organic to the story, and the characters are always fascinating to me. And the stories are great, so she kind of does everything. And I love Ann Patchett, who I got to meet 
a few months ago and was kind of beside myself. Um, and uh, Bel Canto is just such an astonishing and gorgeous book. And, uh, I mean, I really, I love so many. Ian e. Forrester is some uh, the, the writer who's probably most instructive to me in just in terms of his, the heart in his books and the, 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 the thinking in his books, not so much the storylines. But I love, for example, in Howard's End that there's this heroic woman and her what she does that's most heroic is she just brings this kind of motley crew of unhappy people together and turns them into a family. So, uh, you know, I never, ever, ever get tired of his books. You said uh, that the thought of writing a 300-page novel, obviously, without a story, is, is something of a nightmare. Do you ever get writer's block? Um, you know, I, I don't know if it, it's not an extended writer's block. I have bad days, and I have bad series, like, you know, five days when things aren't really working. I've kind of learned, I mean, if there's one thing that I've learned from writing these two books is is to not panic um, because what happens with me is if it's not working, instead of sitting there and banging my head against the computer for hours, I just get up. I have, so, I have small children. I have all these commitments in my community, and there's so much for me to do. So I just get up and go do something else. And what I've come to realize is that at least for me, um, the times when I'm not physically writing can be as productive as the times when I actually am you know, increasing the page count. I can make discoveries in the grocery store, have breakthroughs while I'm at ballet class or working out at the gym or, you know, volunteering at my kid's school. Um, that sometimes just letting it go and relaxing and being out in the world interacting with people can really make it a better book in the long run, even though it's frustrating because my time to write is pretty limited. So if there are days when it's just not working, I think, oh, there's five hours down the drain. Um, but all, in the, when I look at the big picture, I think that those, those days when it's just not coming are helpful because it, it forces me to, to do something else. And then I might make a discovery that I didn't expect to make or I wouldn't have made if I stayed at my desk. You alluded to a third book that you have in the works. Is there anything you can tell us about that? Well, um, sure. It's, it's, you know, relatively early in the process, and so a lot could change because a lot always changes. I think I know what I'm doing, and then it turns out I have no idea. But um, it's, it's all different characters and uh, no, none in common with the first two books, which is fun for me. And... It's about three friends who, um, a man and two women, who meet in their first year of college and are friends for years, and then for a variety of reasons stop being friends and lose all contact with each other. And then one of the friends, the one of the women, walks out on her life, and she doesn't disappear. She's not kidnapped. She just leaves her life, and her sister contacts the two old friends and says, can you help me find her? Um because they really still know her probably better than anyone else knows her. And so these two friends, after years, have reunited to find this third friend. 
Um, it's less about the search. It's not really a quest narrative. It's, it's less about the search than it is about these kind of complicated relationships and where these people have been in the years that they haven't been together and what they'll do if they do, in fact, reunite. Well, the uh, the latest book is uh, Belong to Me, uh, Marisa de los Santos. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And we are uh, very excited to hear more from you at the National Book Festival. Again, that will be on Saturday, September 27th on the National Mall from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. The event is free and open to the public. For more details and a complete list of participating authors, you can visit www.loc.gov bookfest. From the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., this is Matt Raymond. Thank you for listening.